to teach others. Today's message is entitled, Each One Teach One. Each One Teach One. In 1862, Harriet Beecher Stowe, who was the sister of the famed 19th century preacher, Henry Ward Beecher, and she was the daughter of the prestigious uh, Yale honoree in terms of a lecture, preaching lecture series, Lyman Beecher. She's the daughter of Lyman Beecher for, Beecher, for whom the most prestigious preaching series in America is named after. Harriet Beecher Stowe, uh, in 1862, was welcomed to the White House by President Abraham Lincoln. According to the story, upon her arrival, she was greeted with these words, so you are the little woman who wrote that book that started this great war. Of course, he was referring to the Civil War. And for those of you who are history buffs or literature buffs, Harriet Beecher Stowe is the author of the best-selling book of the 19th century entitled Uncle Tom's Cabin. One of her intentions in writing Uncle Tom's Cabin was to paint the picture of Uncle Tom as a noble and heroic figure of strength and conviction. But instead of accomplishing that point, Uncle Tom was perceived as a coward and as one who kowtowed or genuflected to the whims and whimsicalities of his white masters. In U.S. history and in American history or in world history, this was the first reference, the first time the term Uncle Tom had ever been used. And Uncle Tom became the singular designation for a person who was a sellout. It is the nomenclature that describes the Negro who chooses to abandon his people and who chooses of his own volition to act white. Strange things have happened over the past 158 years since the publication of Uncle Tom's Cabin. More than one Uncle Tom has come to the surface. Interestingly enough, Interestingly enough, Booker T. Washington was called an Uncle Tom. Martin Luther King Jr. was called an Uncle Tom. And as the Tea Party and the far right hammers President Obama over his birth and budget, he too has been accused of acting white and is considered by several leading black personalities to be an Uncle Tom. But being an Uncle Tom is not just for celebrities and politicians. You probably remember when you were in school some students who were considered to be Uncle Toms or Aunt Thomasinas. Somehow, the term Uncle Tom evolved over time, and this idea of acting white grew to become equated 
to issues of education and advancement. In other words, if a black person decides to use correct English, he or she might be accused of acting white. If a black person wears a suit and tie, or if a woman wears a business suit with business colors instead of more provocative hues, he or she might be accused of acting white. If a person at an early age decides to apply their God-given talent to the academic processes such as excelling in math and science and writing and language. And if that is known on the campus that this person has decided to do this, he or she may be accused of acting white. In other words, we have often considered acting smart as race betrayal. A great education the development of marketable skills, rising on a corporate or entrepreneurial ladder should be the expectation as a people and especially as Christians. God, for your worksheets, God has chosen us to do something impressive. In the academic arena for all of our students, impressive is all A's, and an occasional B. In this text, three men are present, Moses, Bezalel, and Aholiab. Moses brings these men in front of the worshiping community to share the plan as to how the tabernacle is to be furnished. Bezalel and Aholiab were selected to provide leadership to the design team. The design team was responsible for making the tabernacle a remarkable place because the, 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 the thing was when anybody entered the tabernacle, they ought to not have to think about where they were. In other words, the tabernacle was supposed to be such a great experience that anybody who entered into the tabernacle would feel and sense as though they were in the presence of God. And the tabernacle is simply a metaphor or a model of what a God-filled place or a God-filled life should look like. May I submit to you that if your life is filled with God, you ought not look like everybody else. You ought not act like everybody else. Ought to be some distinguishing factors and characteristics and qualities about your life, not based on what you look like on the outside, but based on who is dwelling on the inside. In other words, it is supposed to be a spectacular life because God is dwelling in a place that he has made holy. The Bible teaches us that God dwells not only with us, but he dwells within us. The Bible teaches us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to God. Therefore, because God dwells 
within us. We are not supposed to be proud of flunking out of school and barely making it or failing to develop marketable skills or being incapable of using our language properly. If God is in us, God did not, is not dwelling in us for us to fit in. God is dwelling in us so that we can stand out. I wish I had a little bit of help. It, when, when, we, when we speak, and I'm speaking in general, and I'm speaking somewhat um, um, in hyperbole, but when we speak of black America in general, our communities are not always impressive. We are stereotypically impressive athletes. And I'm just speaking stereotypically because we do more than athletics. We are stereotypically impressive entertainers, and we are making ground in every sector. But at the same time, we are falling behind in some critical areas. We are falling behind in the financial arena. The median net worth for white households in America is $113,000. The median net worth for Asian households is $78,000. The median net worth for Hispanic households is $6,325. And the median net worth for black households is $5,000. $677. While we are making progress in every sector, we are falling behind in some critical areas. In the educational arena, despite the fact that this year we celebrated more than 30 graduates from high school, most of them were from the Pines campus, but as a group and a community, we are not doing well as it relates to education. I attended a workshop on last week called Closing the Achievement Gap, where they flashed the Florida educational statistics on the screens. 80% of all white students entering the school system in Florida graduate from high school. 60% of all Hispanic students graduate. 58% of all African-American students graduate, while 90% of Asian students who enter into the school system graduate. Looks like we need to stop talking about acting white, and we need to learn how to act Asian. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, my brothers and sisters, it has been proved that there is one sure way to escape poverty and to escape dependence on government entitlements and to improve and acquire a better quality of life both for yourself and your posterity or your descendants. There is one sure way. It is not legislation. It is not a better school board. It is not even a better school. Um, it, what, what it is, is a total education, not starting at school, but starting at the house. In other words, you see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. An education, a good quality education, is the only thing we can point to that has been a certain uh, liberator from bondage and poverty and degradation. In other words, my brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to punish
punish people for using English correctly. We cannot afford to punish people for dressing correctly or disassociating themselves with people who are motionless, missionless, and mindless. Can I get some help? Like it or not, like it or not, we are notorious for dumbing down ourselves in order to fit in and curry acceptance amongst the mediocre. An educated and only an educated community excels. That is why in the context of the slave system, it was important to prevent the slaves from acquiring an education. It was important to prevent the slave from learning to read and write because the slave master understood that if he ever learns, if she ever learns to read and write, they will never ask anybody to be free. They will take their freedom for themselves because... Education is so important. Ron Christie cites in his, in his book act, entitled Acting White, he says blacks were legally denied the opportunity to become literate in several other states in our union. Alabama, Georgia, Virginia joined several other states in enacting statutes. They made it illegal for others to teach blacks to read and right, and what they did was prescribe fines such as flogging and imprisonment for anybody who taught an African American to read and write during that era. That ought to say something to us. It ought to say that an education, a good, solid, well-rounded education is one of the most valuable commodities that you can acquire or achieve. And only a community that is committed to the entire education process. When, when I say entire education process, education does not start at school. It, it doesn't start once I get on the campus. Education has to begin someplace else other than the school in order for the community to be strong. And emphasis on education has to start in the place where the child sleeps and eats breakfast and, and brushes their teeth and clothes their hair. It has to start where we live. And a community that is committed to the entire education process is destined to advance. And a community that values education has to say this. We expect of our students, of our children, A's and an occasional B. That is our expectation. Our expectation ought to be impressive because people only rise to the level of expectation. And it cannot start at the school. That has to be in the heart and mind of a child when they hit the sidewalk in the morning. Now God fills us with resources to excel in our assignment. For your worksheet, for your worksheet, God fills us. God fills us. He gives us resources to excel in our assignment. What is our, what is our assignment? Why are we here? What is it that God wants us to do? First Corinthians, and write this scripture down, First Corinthians chapter 
10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What are you here for? You're here simply to glorify God. You're not here to excel and then to invite somebody over to your house so that they can see your trophies and your plaques and your certificates. That's glorifying you. The reason that God has gifted you and blessed you and, and allowed you to live on this earth is that you might live your life to his glory. In other words, God is expecting something of us. We cannot glorify God and glorify ignorance at the same time. Can I get some help in here? In other words, in other words, in other words, it is not a sin, it is not a sin to be at the bottom, but it is a sin to be at the bottom with no aspirations for rising. Yeah, Dr. Benjamin Mays taught us it must be borne in mind that tragedy of life does not lie in not reaching your goal. The tragedy lies in having no goals to reach. It is not a calamity to die with dreams unfulfilled, but it is a calamity not to dream. It is not a disgrace not to reach the stars, but it is a disgrace not to have stars to reach for. Fail, not failure, says Dr. Mays, but low aim is sin, low expectation. That's where the sin lies. And in our community, in the arena of education, we must lift up a higher expectation. God wants us to aim high. Not just high materially, not just Bentleys and Benzes and BMWs, but God wants us to aim high spiritually in terms of sacrifice, in terms of service, in terms of sanctification of our lives. God wants us to see ourselves as spiritual servants making a spiritual impact in a world that only cares about money and power. So if you don't think this world is only concerned about money and power, you watch the arguments that take place in your state houses and in your federal houses, and the power and the resources never seem to trickle down to the places that really need it. It's because nobody is arguing on behalf of the least and the lost and the left out. They could really care less whether the hood or any place else where people are suffering ever advance. It's a world that's concerned with how the dollars flow. Welfare is not for people who really welfare. Welfare is for Publix and Winn-Dixie and for Albertsons. It's for those who are providing the services. Not designed to get you out of a system. It's designed to keep you in the system so that dollars will flow and enrich others on the, on the backs of those who are poor. But God expects more of us. He wants us to see ourselves. Somebody say, see ourselves. He wants us to see ourselves as spiritual servants who can make a spiritual impact in a world that's built on carnal and corrupt principles. He gives us resources. I want to talk about four. First, the Holy Spirit. He says, see, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And, verse 30, and he says, and he has filled him with the Holy Spirit. Libraries are great. 
Books are great. Websites are great. Internet is great. Schools are great. But I'm going to tell you something. that education does not start at school. It starts with God. In other words, in other words, having the Holy Spirit in our lives is a tremendous resource to the advancement of our education. The Bible says that God gave this man his spirit in order for him to make an impact on his community. It is wrong to think that your book knowledge and your book learning and your academic degrees alone is sufficient for who and what God has called you to be and do. It is wrong to think that if you study Aristotle and Plato and Pythagoras that that is sufficient. My Bible teaches me that I should love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, and with all of my might. My Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added. I love a passionate worship service. I hate a dead service. I just hate it. I don't like a dead service. I'm just being honest. I got issues. But I, I like... A passionate service. I like to see the people of God excited about God and praising God, but I like the great emotion that is displayed in worship, but let us not mistake emotion with the power of the Holy Spirit. I have seen plenty of pep rallies. I've seen many of teams come out of the locker room in high emotion and get decimated on the team because you can, you have to play with emotion, but you've got to have more than emotion if you're going to win the game. The Holy Spirit did not come to make us experts in emotion. He came to empower us to make a difference in the world, and a great education begins with our faith in God. You say, well, pastor, you may be making that up. What does education have to do with God? Well, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Education is enhanced when we ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. So my brothers and sisters, let me just say something to the parents. When your children get on the bus and get ready to go to school, you don't always need to tell them every day, I hope you have a great day. Because they're not going to have a great day every day. And they don't need to have a great day every day. Some days need to be tough. Some days they need to run into a problem that they don't know how to figure out. Some days they need to run into a story that they read that they cannot quite uh, comprehend. Some days they need to have some challenges with some teacher. That teacher won't let them slide because they know that there's more potential in them than they're bringing out. Every day does not need to be a great day for your student. But let me tell you, every day needs to be a day where your student is conscious of the power of the Holy Spirit. So as they leave out of your door, pray that God will fill them with the Holy Spirit. Tell them that the Spirit is in them to work a power in them. Tell them that the Holy Spirit will not leave them nor forsake them and that they have a resource when they run into the challenges. Education is not supposed to be making your days great. It's making your future better. God gives us his Holy Spirit. Secondly, God gives us skills. The Holy Spirit fills us with skill. 
skill. It says in this text that, that, that uh, Bezalel had the Holy Spirit and he had skill. Skill is the result of work and effort. You are not born with skill. You are born with ability, but you earn and work and develop your skills. And the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us and push us and lead us into places where hard work and effort will be required for the development of our skills and for our advancement up the ladders. Are you with me? And listen, an excellent education cannot be achieved without hard work and effort. And as African Americans, we need A's and an occasional B. Listen, listen, we have the brain power. We have the intelligence. We need a combined effort, the commitment and the highest expectation for performance. Now, this is kind of tough what I'm getting ready to say, but listen to me. Because of the critical nature of our historic and existential situation, anything that does not embrace high academic expectations or that ridicules excellence in education or attacks the structures like the family or the church that is trying to hold up an image of high educational achievement. Anything that does not support it, anything that attacks it, anything that ridicules it needs to be eliminated from our community. We cannot afford to send mixed messages. The only way to develop skills is through hard work. It is the will of God that whatever we do, that we do it skillfully. And then it says for your worksheets that God gives us ability. God gives us his Holy Spirit. God gives us skill. You are not born with skills. You develop skills. But God gives us ability. What is ability? Ability differs from skill. Ability is what you're born with. Some people can sing. They didn't teach themselves to sing. When they opened their mouths, they could sing. What is that? That is ability. Jesse Owens, Carl Lewis, Lauren Williams, Hussein Boat, they were born with the ability to run fast. Benjamin Banneker, George Washington Carver were born with the ability to understand science at very high levels. Martin Luther King Jr., Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass were born with the ability to speak well. But my brothers and sisters, you shall not ascend to the top of the ladder on ability alone. You know, and I know, people who are filled with ability. Are you with me? Who have never taken advantage of their God-given abilities. And education is about taking one's abilities, sharpening one's skill sets, and using them to the glory of God. Running fast will not win you a gold medal alone. It's running fast combined with the skills required to compete at the highest levels. Elijah, prophet, combined his God-given prayer abilities with his prayer skills 
sharpened them in spiritual warfare against the enemies of God. He developed them to the point that Elijah could pray that it would rain, and it would rain. Elijah then could pray that it would stop raining, and it would stop. That's what happens when you sharpen your skills and build on your abilities. And finally, the Bible says that God gave them knowledge, knowledge. A good education is a combination of skills, Holy Spirit, abilities, and knowledge. Knowledge not just in your area of expertise, but knowledge in areas other than one's skills and abilities. In other words, if you are a great cook, you have great culinary skills and abilities, you need to know more in life than just how to cook. Don't y'all go quiet on me. If you have musical skills and understand music and have musical abilities, you need to know more. You need more knowledge other than knowledge of music. And so God gives us abilities and skills, but he wants us to have a well-rounded education so that we know how to function, not just in the area of our expertise, because life is not built on just what we are skilled in. You need financial skills, and you need people skills, and you need communication skills. So, as I close, the true enemy of the community is not the person who is speaking English correctly. The true enemy is not the person who will wear their clothes properly in the proper context. The true enemy of the community is the person who has achieved much but has rejected the call to help his or her people. The true enemy is the person who has benefited from being a part of the community, but then rejects investing back into the community after they have achieved. That's the true enemy. You see, learning and achievement and acquisition without the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit can make us selfish and entitled. So what God does, God wants us to master areas simply so that we can mentor others. The reason God makes you great, makes somebody else great, is so that you can help make somebody else great. No community can excel unless those who have achieved set the example by giving back to those who are trying to achieve. I want to give you some tools and some tips quickly, and then I'm finished. How do you master? How do you master your area? And you ought to want to master it. You ought to want to be the best. You may not ever be the best, but you ought to want to be the best. Am I right? First, in order to master anything, you need a teacher. You need a teacher. You need someone to teach you. You have to submit yourself to someone else's instruction. Secondly, you need time. It will not happen overnight, but you cannot afford to waste time. Time moves too rapidly, and it is irretrievable. 
when Benjamin Mays used to speak in the chapel at Morehouse College, he used to bring those young men into that chapel, and he would often quote to them, I have only just a minute, 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, did not choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I will suffer if I lose it, give account if I abuse it. Such a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. You must take advantage of the time that you have. Third, you need some tools. You need tools. You need tools. So if it's academics, you need books. You, if it's sports, you need a field. You need ball. You need tools and equipment. You need the right temperament. You cannot master anything with the wrong attitude. Your attitude determines how far you will go. You need trials. Trials are important for mastery. You will never master anything if you bail every time things get hard. You have to be able to hang in there when the storms of life. Am I talking to anybody in here? You have to be able to hang in there when the work does not produce any results. You got to be able to hang in there when folks are telling you to quit. You got to be able to hang in there when you're telling yourself to quit. You need trials. The trials will make you strong. Then you need triumphs. You need victories along the way. Then how you mentor. How do you mentor somebody? First of all, you have, you have to pick a person. Listen, when God has blessed you to achieve, when you own your own home, own your own cars, you have degrees, God's calling you to pour back into somebody else's life. You need to pick a person who you will invest in personally. Third, you need to participate in that process and not be passive in it. Third, you need patience because guess what? Folks who don't know learn slow. I wish I had some help. Folks who don't know learn slow. But if they have the ability, if they have the potential, once they get it, they got it. But you got to have some patience. You can't quit on them when they fail along the way. Then you need some principles. You cannot mentor if the mentee is free to do as he or she chooses. There have to be some rules that are unbreakable and unbendable. In other words, when I was growing up in my house, Brother Richard, if an adult walked into the room, me as a child sitting in the room and an adult walked into the room, I was required, I was required to acknowledge the presence of that adult. That adult didn't have to say two words to me. I was required to say, good afternoon, Mrs. Jones, how are you today? Now, if my parents were in the room, they would say to me, if they did not hear me, did you speak to Mrs. Jones? I would say, yes, I spoke. They would say, well, I didn't hear you speak. In other words, it was required that I speak in such a way that the person who entered the room has no doubt that they're being acknowledged by a subordinate and not by an equal. Let me tell you something, that was hard and fast, unbendable, non-negotiable. And when you mentor somebody, the mentee does not make up the rules. Then there has to be praise. There has to be praise. Are you with me? When it, now there are going to be some mistakes, but when they get it right, you have to say good job. When they do it the correct way, and the, in other words, even when they turn the ship and start heading in the right direction, you need to say, all right now, that's what I'm talking about. That's a good job. That has to be praise. 
and then there has to be a product. In other words, you have to know when the job is done. You see, because if you have a good mentee, what will happen, you hope, is that your mentee will rise to the place that you no longer have the ability to mentor them because you don't have, they have exceeded your abilities. You have to know what that is. Let me just say a closing word to parents, to this church. Each one has to teach one. 60% graduation rate is not sufficient. That is not us. We have to hold up the standard as this. This is the standard. We expect A's and an occasion an occasional B. Parents, I want to encourage you. I know what it's like. I know you get tired of saying the same thing over and over and over again. I know you get tired of these lame kids thinking they got some tricks, thinking that they don't know when you say study. They know, they don't know that you know that you're in the room. And you know they're not studying. They're taking a nap. They, they, listen, I know you get tired. I've seen mothers pull their hair out and their tracks. Frustrated over their kids. But let me tell you something. I want to encourage you today. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 10, 6, verse 10, do not become weary in well-doing. In other words, you keep on doing it. It's going to get hard. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to want to throw in the towel. Sometimes you want to quit. Sometimes you want to say, I got enough. Do what the heck you want to do. Get out of my face. Go in your room. Whatever it is. But let me tell you, don't you go that route. You hold your position. I don't care if they bring home D's, F's, and Z's. The expectation is still this. I'm expecting A's and an occasional B. Your child will turn their back to you as you talk, stick out their lips, and suck their teeth, but be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and you tell them, I'm expecting A's and an occasional B. Well, I'm a C student, mama. I'm not as smart as the rest of those students. Well, being smart has nothing to do with my expectation. My expectation is this. I don't care what your IQ is. I don't care what the tests say about you. My expectations are A's and and. Why? 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 Why should I expect a C student to bring home A's? Why should I tell them that? I'm telling them that for two reasons. Because people only rise to the level of expectation. You can't lower your expectation because of low performance. Two, because one day junior 
and Janie gonna have some kids. And when Junior and Janie have some kids, they're gonna repeat. They're gonna say, just like you do, they're gonna. When, when Junior the third get ready to go to school, Junior, who was a C student himself, is gonna tell his son, I expect A's and Somebody give him praise. That's the expectation. That's the expectation. When we hold to it, don't bend, don't break, don't quit. Take your arid, put your deodorant on, don't let them see you sweat. Hold your position. You know what God's gonna do? God's gonna give you strength. Nights when they're in there sleeping, you're gonna get up out of your bed. They're sleeping in your bed, under your sheets you paid for. Got the nerve to give you, give you drama. Just finished eating the ice cream you bought. Been riding all day in the car. You paid insurance for. You paid for the car. Wearing pajamas that you paid for. Got the iPod in the ears. You bought it. But you ain't gonna fight them now. You gonna go in the room while it's sleep. And you gonna start praying while it's sleep. God. Watch over my child. God, work in his heart. God, what I can't do, you do it. And then you know what God will do? He'll pop a scripture. He'll download a scripture into your mind. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Train him. This is your job. Train him. Train him, train him, train a child in the way he should go. That's your part. Your part is not how he takes the test. Your part is not what's on the report card. Your part, train him. Now, God said, now here's my part. When he gets old, I got that joker. When his hair starts turning a little gray, I got him. When his six-pack disappears, I got him. Come on, let's stand our feet.